Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Norbert Reinisch, who is the export manager of The Winery, who has played a crucial role in bringing Barbera back into the higher echelons of the wine world. So I am talking about Breider Winery. So today's episode, it's a deep dive into one of Italy's fantastic great varieties, Barbera. By the end of this episode, you're going to have this understanding of what it tastes like with its bright acidity and its lush fruit notes, the various expressions it offers, the regions where it thrives, and a peek into its well, perhaps slightly checkered history, but this is a tale that adds depth to the story and an even greater understanding of why Bride Winery and Barbera are so connected. Now, before we start, for those of you in the UK, have you gone to check out Wickham's Wine yet? Now, many of you should know they are the sponsor of this season, but it's not just me that thinks they offer great value wines. They're also the winner for Specialist Wine Merchant of the Year with International Wine Challenge and Decanter Retailer Awards. So pop across. Their link is in my show notes, but it's also in the transcript, which you may want to download so that you don't miss any of the regions that gets mentioned on this episode. And don't forget to use the code EATSLEEP10 for 10% off your first order. But for now, if you can drink along with a glass of Barbera, do it. Settle in and let's explore this great and the winery that has rewritten its history. Now, I want to get serious because when we talk about Breida, the winery, it is the story of Barbera. Barbera, great variety. So why is Breida, the winery, so synonymous with this great variety? You have to imagine going back uh, 40, 50 years Barbera was the second mostly planted grape variety in Italy, red grape variety, after Sangiovese, and then followed by Montepulciano and other things. Today, and this is also thanks to my father-in-law Giacomo, uh, focusing rather more on quality than quantity, actually it's number five after Sangiovese, Montepulciano, then it's actually Merlot, to my surprise. Oh, really? Primitivo, okay. and then uh, Barbera. So it's very interesting. So the, you can see from around 70,000 hectares planted in Italy in the 80s, we are down to 25,000, 30,000 hectares, uh, which is a good, good evolution, I would say. And most of it is planted in Piedmont under the different denominations like Barbera d'Asti, Barbera d'Alba, Barbera del Monferrato, or simply Piemonte Barbera. But you can find it even in the, in the further south of Italy, where Barbera can be used as an addition to the wine to, to provide some acidity because it's a very acidic grape variety. But when Giacomo started, so Barbera was a super cheap uh, grape variety. Quantity was more important than quality. What helped actually was a very bad wine scandal in the mid of the 80s. I think it was 86. There had been a methanol scandal. So um, 
two bottlers, so not even wine producers, but two bottlers, unfortunately based in Piedmont, in the southern Piedmont, were adding methanol to the weak, weak, weak vintages, 84 and so on. Not being able to imagine that people are drinking so much wine that instead of getting blind, having too much methanol, people were dying by this scandal. So it was, of course, Sangiovese number one, but the Barbera uh, and the producers or the bottlers, they were here in Piedmont. So actually this year at Venitaly, and this was published the day before Venitaly, people didn't dare to taste or to drink Barbera anymore. And my father, my Giacomo Bologna said, how is it possible? We have so much Barbera, it's coming out of our ears and the eyes, and we are not able to produce a, a quality wine out of it. And he was traveling at this time, actually this was in 1982, in or 81 in California with friends, so including Angelo Gaia, Luigi Veronelli, uh, and other wine producers, to see a little bit the wine culture, the, the Calital, this Californian Italian wine culture, including Mondavi Gallo and so on. And one day he phoned home and said to his wife, Anna, we did completely everything wrong. So we are in our in we are in the hometown of of Barbera, and we are not able to treat Barbera as these Americans are doing it. So they were putting the Barbera into oak. Uh, they had the super ripe Barbera, of course, California different climate at this time as in our area. Well, let's say they they put some focus on it, and he came home and said, "Okay, treat Barbera as a noble grape variety, and you will obtain a noble wine." And so he started to select a vineyard in Rocchetta Tanaro, actually in a, in a fraction of the village called Bricco, which just means, it's a very common name, which just means top of the hill. And he selected this vineyard at this time, maybe it was 20 years old wines around. And this was the 81 vintage. And he put this into French barrique. So people were saying, are you crazy? What are you doing? <laughs> this cheap uh, grape juice into these uh, expensive uh, bells and so on. And he was also encouraged by Angelo Gaia. No, no, leave it, leave it, leave it another. So they were phoning nearly every day and uh, tasting a lot together. And 81, it turned out it was a quite weak vintage. Uh, um, so not really, it lacked uh, nearly everything to, to make have, get, a, get a balanced wine. So he tried again in 1982 using 50% of these uh, one-year-old barrels and 50% of new barrels. And this 82 was one kind of century vintage, if you want, in Italy. Oh, and really? Piedmont, of course. And so it turned out a completely different style of wine. So really uh, powerful, but elegant. Perfectly balanced between the high acidity and the nice tannins from the oak. So it was really a super surprise. And when it comes to the date to show the wine, after three years uh, uh, to the public. So at this time, maybe still today, but at this time, Vinitaly at Verona was the biggest wine show in Europe, maybe in the world. And so he was ready to present his Barbera d'Asti, actually this time Barbera di Rocchetta Tanaro as a table wine. And what happened, the journals were writing about Barbera and methanol and nothing about else. So nobody was interested to taste Barbera, but everybody wanted to taste the Uccellone wine because... Uccellone means actually the big bird. Uccello is the bird, Uccellone, the big one. Because on this on this um, hill, on this Bricom, there was there's still the house is still there. There was living an old lady, maybe 160 tall. Obviously she was a widow, so always closed black, and she was coming down to the church and to, to make shopping. And she had a very prominent nose in her face, like the peak of a bird. And she was nicknamed Lauslun, Uccellone. 
the big bird. And Giacomo has chosen this name because in Italian slang, Uccellone has a different meaning either. So let's say if a man is a well-hung person, you say, hey, oh, he has a big Uccellone. So, <laughs> so the point, kind we, we invented Viagra many years before Pfizer did it. And this was really the first impact that people were interested in this wine. And they didn't even want to know that it's Barbera. But of course, with the time... Um, they found um, it, out. Yeah, yeah that it's, it is Barbera. So it was really one of the most successful wines at this uh, edition of, of Vin Italy. But it could do Lucilone, the first vintage was 1982. Oh, wow. So you had to trick people into tasting the wines. But once they had, people then started going, oh, okay, Barbera is actually very good. Yeah, yeah. So it, and it's still today, it's people who are not really into wine when they hear about Barbera, Maybe they have still in their mind a little bit these entry-level Barberas you get in supermarkets, uh, which in Italy can be then really very cheap. Uh, you have high taxes, so it cannot be super cheap, but anyway, very cheap anyway. So they have this really highly extracted, pressed, highly uh, acidic grape juice, fermented grape juice. I don't want to call it even Barbera Dusty. And in a comparison, thanks to Giacomo Bologna, so many other producers are now giving more focus to the wine, which means reducing the yields. So they actually, even the legal yield are still too high. I think that's around 65 hectoliters per hectare. But let's say uh, for making quality wine, you have to go down to 40, 45 hectoliters minimum. And then it's not necessarily to use oak, but let's say there's some, you need some touch of oak, so even big oak, uh, just to give some flavor concentration of the tannins. Barbera itself is very low in tannins. But using oak wets, so you have a kind of micro-oxygenation which fixes the polyphenols better, so you have deeper color and a little bit of mouthfeel if there's some touch of oak. That's the one thing that I've always really loved about Barbera, that it is a wine that can be really fruit-driven, it can be very full-bodied, but the tannins are always very soft and, if it's a good wine, very well integrated and there's a plushness to it. And so it's a, it can be a very serious wine, but it's not too grippy. And actually, sometimes you just don't want big, grippy feelings in your mouth. So I've always loved the level of tannins of Barbera. That has always been a selling point for me. Uh, especially the point, uh, um, let's say, with the, the simpler wines, uh, and let's say Monte Bruno, we will taste uh, uh, as next wine, is a wine really you can sip uh, also starting in the afternoon and, and, in it, and it invites you to drink another glass because it's so juicy. It's so refreshing the palate thanks to the, thanks to the acidity. And we are still, again, on a lucky situation, still, I say, because with this global uh, warming or the climatic change, uh, we see a drastically change in a vineyard, drastically. So not only harvest times is up to two months earlier than it was in the 70s, 80s, so which is really incredible. Sometimes we start picking Barbera grapes in August. You cannot even, even imagine to say this uh, a person in the 80s because I remember when I, mo I moved down from Innsbruck, this was in 1998. We started uh, the, the vineyard uh, uh, harvest October 8th. So this was the normal time. Yes. 
And October 8th, our wine cellar is already super clean. So all the, all the tanks are already wrecked. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, wow. Really changed a lot. Absolutely. So obviously right now, yeah, as you said, harvest has changed massively. But as a grape variety growing out in the vineyards, am I right in thinking that Barbera is actually quite an easy grape variety to grow out in the vineyards? <laughs> this was the only question I was thinking maybe because it changed so much. So if you ask me this question 20 years ago, I would say yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Let's say uh, Barbera is quite a vigorous uh, variety. Let's say you have a little bit to control actually uh, the quantity and also the leaves uh, during the year, and especially if there's some rain in May, June, you have to control more often, of course. The problem is we don't have rain anymore, so it's different. But we have also different rootstocks under the clones, which are more resistant to drought, which is actually, this is our problem. So we don't have really these big problems of sunburn on the grape, but we are leaving anyway the, the leaves around the grape area nearly up to four weeks to the before harvest uh, to avoid that it's really sunburned anyway. On the other hand, we have still this high acidity, which drinking a wine out of 2017 uh, and then maybe also the 2022 vintage, which are the driest and the hottest vintages we ever have seen. The acidity is still there and uh, this um, gives certain drinkability to the wine. Today, unfortunately, we are facing, first of all, this draft, so which, which is, let's say, everybody in, in, I think I would say everybody in Italy and everybody in Piedmont, of course, has to deal with these problems. Since last year, so not even, even a year, we got, after many, many years, the permit of irrigation, which in all, all other areas, with the exception of Basilicata, there's no irrigation or there were no ir- irrigation allowed for vineyards. and. Since last year, the law was changing in May 1st. Then in May 2nd, it started to rain for three weeks. So we didn't need, didn't need it either last year. That's ironic, isn't it? But anyway, now we are informing ourselves which style of irrigation would be best to our vineyards. Uh, because having, let's say with the old vineyards, it's not so a big problem. If you if you irrigate the young vineyards, uh, the roots are coming rather back to the surface than uh, going, staying down or going down. And then, of course, where to get the water? This is actually the, the, the big question, which wasn't wasn't answered by the government when they said, okay, now you can irrigate well, with what? <laughs> yeah, they said you can, but they didn't tell you how. Well, the, the joys of the ever-evolving vineyard. So, okay, Barbera as a grape variety, do you feel, you know, as again, you can get Barbera de Asti, which is the, the three wines we're going to try in a second. You can get Barbera de Alba, as you said, there's different places. Do you feel that Barbera changes quite a lot based on these different regions? Yes, of course. And there are two main differences, which self-explain why the wines are tasting different. So we are, as I told you, in the Monferrato, so Iron Mountain, clay, sandy soil, rich in, in iron, with some limestone, so calcareous marl in between, which fits for Barbera and Grignolino perfectly. If you go further down, further down, this means uh, 30 minutes with the car, you're driving slightly up and you are going more in a hillier, nearly mountainside, where you have really limestone for first, oyster shell banks with some clay and sand. So this makes a big difference because wines like Barbera and Grignolino, they, they like especially this clay soil to express the fruit, to make it really a fruitful wine. 
Whereas uh, Nebbiolo, Barolo doesn't really want to be a fruitful vine. I want to have structure, I want to have uh, a nobility, I want to have uh, the power. And this needs, uh, needs similar actually to, to Burgundy soil, this, uh, this oyster shell banks and, and limestone soil. This makes one of the differences because, let's say, you do, we don't want to have a powerful, let's say, anyway, with global warming, the Barberas are getting powerful wines, far too much, uh, for our opinion. But let's say this is nature. But for the soil, certainly you have this the better fruit expression and also, I think, more lifted acidity on this clay soil, so in the Monferrato, in the rather more northern parts. And then, of course, when you are a wine producer and you are in the Lange, outside of Barolo or Barbaresco, and what would you produce? You produce Barolo Barbaresco because you can make out more money. <laughs> so it's Barolo Barbaresco. So the best sites of the property is reserved for Nebbiolo, of course. And rather more the lesser sites, uh, this means uh, north-facing or more in the, the lower parts, which sometimes with alluvial soil and so on, is reserved for or Dolcetto or, or Barbera which makes the other difference. Of course, it depends always on the producer, how they make the wine. I don't I don't want to say generally that Barbera Dusty is the better Barbera than Barbera Diva. But let's say in general, this may, these are the big differences which you have to think when you're producing uh, the Barbera and when you're buying a bottle of wine, what you expect. All right. And if, and if somebody is listening and going, okay, what is Barbera? We've mentioned that it can have a lot of fruit and we've mentioned that the tannins aren't too grippy. How, how else would you describe Barbera in general to try and get somebody uh, excited about trying Barbera? I remember when I started to drink Barbera because I was in Italy, I was a Sandrovese drinker, I confess. <laughs> and when, <laughs> Wrong region. When I switched, when I switched to, to Barbera, I first of all, I said, okay, what can I taste? Just also to, when I'm tasting the next time a blind uh, red wine, that, okay, this is Barbera. And it's quite difficult. But on the other hand, when drinking hectoliters, maybe <laughs> in the last 30 years, you have, first <laughs> of all, you have this, again, a, a viney flavor. And let's say, uh, I love very much Pinot Noir. And the impact of this Venus uh, flavor of the wine. I'm just pouring this wine to me right now. Reminds me, or I get it also when I am pouring and uh, tasting Barbera in the glass. And then in second line, you have these cherry flavors. Actually, we call it rather more Amarena because we have a special variety here in the area, really black, big cherries called Amarena, which are extremely sweet, but extremely sour at the same time. On the nose, it seems to be, oh, you just opened a jar of jam or you're eating a cake, a Schwarzwälder Kirsch or whatever, uh, because you have some chocolate even in this wine as well. And then on the palate, it's super dry and you get rather more really this other red, sometimes even dark red fruit. So you have plum fruit. And then there is always some spiciness, which sometimes can be impressed uh, also expressed also as an earthiness. So if the wines are not super clean or in a certain uh, age of its, de- of its development, they have some earthy character. So it's not retinomyces, but it's just the character of the grape in the evolution. And then, of course, in the older versions, you have also this licorice. So you have uh, this turning, let's say this, this uh, spiciness is turning into this, this licorice. Uh, well, let's say now this, we are, we are tasting a very young Barbera 2020 from quite young wines. So the, the mean age here, we are speaking about 26 years old wines, which for, for a winemaker is still, still very young. And we decided actually not 
to use uh, barrique for this wine, but uh, neutral big oak wets, so between 4,500 and 5,500 liters, where we keep the wine for one year. Then after one year in a bottle, we release the wine. So it's now this Montebruna, which is a single vineyard in Rocchetta Tanaro, as Barbera, which is actually turns out to be one of our most successful wines right now because in comparison to the big cruise, which is super limited because of its size, here we can produce a little bit more <laughs> than for the big cruise. <laughs> and also, just for anyone when they're looking at labels and they know no they know nothing about a winery, you've picked you've done a very cool iconic winery. Obviously everyone, if you go to my Instagram, you'll see the pictures of the 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 wines. But this Monte Bruna, you've got you've you've written the word, but then you've got words all around it. Like it's a very, very cool what do all the words on the label say? Because, of course, they are. Actually, uh, let's say if you watch rather more the, the, the brown back label, which also, mm-hmm. also actually, it's this, the color of the clay uh, we have in this, in this uh, vineyard. And it's actually, there are parcels because it took us uh, more than 27 contracts with 27 pre-owners to get this vineyard together. And so, therefore, we have these uh, parcels uh, all together. And actually, it was once uh, in our in our village, Roqueta Tanaro. We have a very famous noble family called Incisa. So, as they are from Roqueta, they called Incisa della Roqueta. And let's say the wine freaks uh, immediately associate this with one of the most famous red wines from Italy, which is the Sassicaia in Tuscany. And it was actually the grand uncle of the actual um, Comtes who left literally actually 100 years ago, just around the World War II when it started, uh, to Tuscany, getting married to a cousin of Antinori, which was called Gerardesca, and founding the, the winery Tenuta Sanguiri in Bulgari, making this famous Sassicaia based on Cabernet Sauvignon and Franco. The other family started really not to produce wine here in, in, in the village, leaving the slopes like, like it was. And then with all this inheriting to the nephews and nieces and so on, it turns out that this beautiful, today, really one of the most beautiful spots. You go up to the vineyard and it's also really quite big. So now it's, uh, we are 16 hectares uh, only for the Monte Bruna. It's now very unique. So really, really beautiful, all planted with, with Barbera. But it took us 10 years to get to this to this point. So, and now since 26 years, we are happy to produce the wine Monte Bruna. And in the written word of Monte Bruna, where you have really to turn around the bottle. So you have to first to finish the bottle. Otherwise, while <laughs> it's getting out of the, of the bottle. There is a poem from my father, father-in-law, which in the last years of his life, he started to say, okay, please just uh, build you up a beautiful a spacious, great wine cellar and fill it up with many, many bottles, some standing, some laying down and taste them and drink them in all the four seasons uh, with the thought on the man who has no wine, who has no music, who has no wives, maybe living 10 years longer than you, but no fun in the life. So this is... <laughs> and let's see. What a beautiful poem. Yeah, and okay, he, 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 uh-huh. he passed away with only 52 years, but he lived as other could do with 200. So really, he drank his life. <laughs> Absolutely. Good. So that's what we want to hear. So for everybody listening, okay, this Monte Bruna, I'm going to have a quick taste. It's about 21, 22 pounds in the UK. I know Field and Fawcett are selling it. Vinissimus is selling it. So you can get this wine in quite a few places. But 
See, now what I get, you get this real concentrated like red cherries, but there's a black plumminess to it. It's really quite plummy um, for me on the pack. Super, super vibrant, really, really fresh. And I think you kind of touch on, there is that sweet, sour vibe, slight sweet, sour, but it's not, when you talked about Sanchevese, Sanchevese really takes me to this sour, earthy edge, whereas this has got a real bouquet of fruit. This is super fruity to me, right? I think there's a big, big difference. Mm. There's a nice concentration of fruit. And this we have seen, especially in these hot vintages. And we have, anyway, only hot vintages in the last 20 years. Well, interestingly, this is 15%, isn't it? I just looked. But it doesn't feel like 15%. It's got a very, very spicy finish. It's very crunchy fruit on the finish. So actually what I like is that it's medium to full bodied, but it's quite fleshy. So I feel like the fruit fills out your palate the whole way through. Very, very smooth. There's this slight sour edge, this crunchy fruit edge at the end, and then it's kind of spicy. So the majority, if if you like just a really fruity wine, this is great. But then I think you, you have got this slight dark chocolate shards in there as well that's adding this like slight element but I love the the smoothness and the freshness and the concentration of fruit on this wine Mm. absolutely and actually I would also add some some cranberries I love cranberries when I'm in the states and this is really there is is this sweet bitter sourness of, of cranberries as well I have to say and I'll see when I taste the other two, but actually again with Barbera, I very often always get this mix of red and black fruits. More towards the red typically, but a real a real mix of the two. So I'll see if I still back that up after tasting your other two. Now, I have a question though. So this is a much younger, fruitier, fresher style. As the wine matures, like you mentioned, if we're patient enough to hold back a Barbera for four years, we might start getting more of that hazelnut liquid edge is that generally what just continues to develop or does anything else happen if you have a pretty old aged mature barbera i can say this especially from our wines because we are tasting like uh, uh, many times so there is an evolution for uh, four to five years going up so you, you it's gaining complexity and there's this addition of this hazelnut so this this nougat flavor some um, you will, you will see then, or we can speak with the other two wines to taste. The oak certainly uh, has a better integration after four, five, six years. And then I describe it always that way, that it stays at the plateau, especially the cruise uh, for at least 10 years. And then every single bottle makes it a little bit its own development. So some of them, they remain there. Some of them, they're even gaining more complexity. Others, this depends always also on the quality maybe of the cork, uh, are declining, getting a little bit the sweetness of that. So these are the evolutions. But 15 years, and let's say the wines we have in the wine cellar, which never left the winery, so no transportation, no heat exposure and so on. If we open an 89, and I, I would say this wine is 10 years old, you would believe it. So it's really incredible. Okay. Yeah, so this is, uh, let's say in many places, especially our import in Australia, for example, he's uh, very, very careful about transportation. And I always tell him, I'm not every year, but every every other year, or every three years uh, now after COVID there, and we are opening old wines. I say, it's like tasting like in my wine, out of my wine cellar, because they're so fresh and integral. It's, it's fantastic. Whereas it happens sometimes uh, in Germany or wherever, they put it standing up for 10 years. And of course, uh, the cork is not so happy with it. 
<laughs> so yeah well that is the um interesting part of where you buy your wines from you never fully know but okay that gives us so this gives us a reason to come and visit you to be really really nice bring a few roses like you mentioned in the first episode and then maybe you might go to the cellar and open up something a little bit older for us it's a Janine for you for sure <laughs> yay me I get an older vintage everyone else we're not so sure anyway um, so, <laughs> so for anybody wondering this vintage that we're drinking this is a 2020 isn't it yeah so it's had well, probably three and a bit years, but we now have another 2020 vintage, but this is one of the crews, isn't it? So this is, am I right? This is the flagship, the Brico de Uccellone yeah. is the flagship, isn't it? It is the flagship. So also the first wine when the winery got nationally and internationally renowned. And I think also the start of modern quality Bavaria production in, in Italy. Um, as I told uh, told you uh, before, let's say he was the uh, Giacomo was the first to select the vineyard. He was also the first to put this at this time cheap uh, grape variety into the quite expensive um, uh, barriques or old French barrique. Let's say what changed him in, in from the beginning to today certainly be let's say the impact of of oak is is definitely less than it was uh, 20, 30 years ago. Let's say actually last year we celebrated forty years. For the vintages of Brico di Cilone. But we learned, and also with the ripeness of the fruit, with the change of the climate, that we need less, less oak for it, and especially less new oak. So we are using maybe 40% new barrels. So I'm speaking about the 225 liters of barrique, or French oak uh, from different uh, producers, mostly from a local producer called Gamba. Uh, but not only, there's also Francois Frere, Segemoron, uh, and so on. And the time is, was a little bit reduced from 17, 18 months to 14 months uh, for the time. So, because I think, or we think with uh, the different character of the, of the wine, with the, due to the climatic change, the wines need less, uh, less oak because it's already so concentrated of fruit. It's already very warm, even on the nose. It's, uh, it, it, oh. It jumps out of the glass. So 2020, so we are really in a very lucky series of great vintages. And I would generalize it to, to, the, to the whole peninsula, Italy. Uh, so we have had this exciting 2016, a very difficult. So the only thing really difficult, uh, the 2017 for the heat and draft. Luckily in 2018, some rain, especially in summer, which for us was more than helpful. And then a series of 2019. Wow. And since uh, a couple of uh, months we are selling now, 2020, I'm showing to the public the 2020, and it seems to be even better than 2019. So, which was un unthinkable <laughs> a year ago. And let's say even 21 is very, very promising, but I don't tell more <laughs> because it's not in the bottom yet. Precisely. Let's focus on what we've got. Um my gosh, though, you say that you use it's a very judicious amount of oak and absolutely because the fruit still is number one. But, oh, this real vanilla bean edge wraps around the fruit. And there's something that's a little bit more like kind of forest floor. There's a little bit of crushed leaves with this kind of spicy edge that adds to lots of that kind of red cherry. But again, maybe some maybe some 
black currant in there again. That there's the black fruits mixing with the red. But I like the fact that I feel like I'm in but a do forest. You get to cinema a little bit. Let's say we are coming just out of the Christmas season, mm. having lots of this kind of cookies. Mm. But let's say having having this uh, even done later with some cookies after dinner, you get even cinnamon out of it. So it's incredible. More of that sweet spice for me comes through on the palate. So I get, I think the nose is like quite autumnal and a little bit kind of, as I, not earthy, but as I said, like that crushed leaves and being in the forest and maybe a little bit of wet soil with the fruitiness. But then the palate is much more, I think maybe because of the oak in there, there's the sweet spice. So I can, now you've said yes. cinnamon, of course I can taste cinnamon, but yeah, of course I can. That's the rules. Um, but yeah, it's lovely. And it has that licorice, slight licorice vibe, but the oak use is really, really beautiful in it. And it's still a really smooth style. So the tannins are just incredibly silky. So I've got a lot more texture in my mouth with this one, which makes sense because of the oak, but it's just so smooth. Oh yeah. If everyone I found on eightwines.com in the UK for about 53 pounds. So we are really taking... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, sometimes in the UK, you can get some real little surprises. How much do you, how much would it be in terms of euros in in Italy? Retail in, uh, in in Italy, you will, you would pay uh, 60, 65 euro. Yeah. Having less taxes, of course, yeah, so it's uh, on the way. Well, sometimes there can be a surprise. Also, everyone, go and have a look because maybe, for instance, I didn't see the box and it doesn't say, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not including the duty. Yeah, exactly. Maybe missing um, the duty. Let's say, this, uh, what, I think even tenors should have this as well or, or sommeliers, they, they should Well, have you mentioned tanners going on to the last Barbera, which is the Brico della Bigotta, and that happens to be the 2019. Tanners definitely has this one because that came up when I searched. And they're selling it for, I think you might be quite impressed then, they're selling the Bigotta for £64. Perfect. There you go, everyone. I think that's a bargain. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, when we start dealing with numbers above £10, you know, not everyone would agree it's a bargain, but definitely you're, you're not over, you're not overspending. So let's have a look. So 2019, you thought probably was a better vintage than 2020 until now the 2020s come out and now you're not so sure. Is that the way? No, it's so difficult <laughs> tasting this 2020 and let's say I started already to taste the other two crews, uh, Big Ops and Suma. They are so charming at the moment. So usually, let's say, unfortunately, these wines... As I told you, you should sell them for a couple of years to really get this uh, elegant complexity which will, will develop this wine. Right now, it's a little bit primary, of course. You have this impact of this red and black fruit uh, from the beginning. And actually, what we have what we noticed, or since 10 years, or since 2009, actually, uh, we noticed that all our Barberas, and we are speaking, nine was also extremely hot vintage, you, we get a, a kind of pepper spices, which we never had before. And even in the old vintages, you don't get it, which reminds me personally to one of uh, another favorite uh, appellation I like to drink, which is the Northern Rhone, uh, especially Cornas. And you have this a kind of pepper soup with the, with the Shiraz. And this brings me actually to the shape of the glass. Let's say, because if you go to real uh, sommelier series, they choose... And the, my, my brother-in-law was actually present when uh, when they made the decision. The same shape for the sommelier series, the same shape of Syrah with Barbera. And truly said, in our tasting room, we are 
switching to this uh, kind of, uh, let's say, it's a personalized uh, glass anyway from Riedel, but shape rather more Syrah glass. Personally, if you would ask me, I would go, rather go for a Cabernet glass uh, for this, a Cabernet glass. If you come to our house privately, you will have this out of a, a really big burgundy glass. All the vintages. Because let's say we love this to um, underline the fruit of the of the wines. And I think I'm just changing now, same wine from a from a Bordeaux to a Burgundy, and you, you really get even more elegance, some more the, the light red fruit and the, the black red fruit are out of this uh, burgundy shaped glass. So it's uh, it's it's your choice of what really you want. Let's say Syrah, Bordeaux, or Burgundy. I think let's say it's uh, perfect. All the three. The fact that the tannins are always so well integrated and are not so grippy, actually, I can see how that would work in a burgundy glass. But I've had conversations about, you know, wine glasses so many times. One, it's subjective. Two, genuinely, the right wine glass will completely change what you taste in the wine. It might bring out the fruit more. It might change the structure. It might make the fruit seem sweeter. But there you go, everyone. So is there a right and wrong? You're just going to have to try. You need to get a bottle. <laughs> get a Even two bottles. <laughs> not only one. <laughs> look at you look at you upselling well done you do you know what i like about this wine this is this is the biggest of all of them when i say big it's not monstrous it's still it's full bodied but what i like about all of them there's a freshness i think it's really worth because of the acidity on all of these wines they really don't feel explosive like you know when you have the typical old fashioned jammy napa valley cab salves or things like that they were really luscious and you you know mouth bombs explosions and loads of fruit but big in your mouth all of these three wines are just very elegant, no matter what style, and they don't feel big in the mouth, even though this is the fullest body wine I've had of the three, and this is a full body wine. But I love that it's like this kind of roasted coffee, toasted edge to the fruit. It's got this slight, even a, you mentioned Syrah, which is, you know, so you're getting more of the pepper. I'm also getting a slight, a slight gamey edge, that slight meatiness. There's just something that's just adding to the lovely plush fruit Absolutely. in the wine. Let's say if you, if you want to discover your, your umami uh, part of the town, to try this with that wine. <laughs> it's really awesome. Perfect. I so agree. Mm, that's lovely. So, okay. That's three really interesting expressions. Again, I feel very, very happy. Lots and lots. This is my conclusion. Barbera is all about fruit. It's quite an elegant style with because of all the acidity, medium to full body, depending on what you have. Typically has a little bit of a spicy edge to it, typically on the finish and lovely smooth tannins. That is my conclusion for Barbera, certainly as well, the Barberas that, that you do. What would you pair? Do you have a few favorite dishes that you would bring out if you were pouring some Barbera? I have to divide a little bit the, the dishes with the Monte Bruna style of Barberas, which is the more easier, fresher style, which works with a lots of, of pasta dishes, uh, risotto. Now we are in the season of the risotto, as I told you before, we are the, the biggest rice production in Europe is done just 40 kilometers from here in Vercelli. And mushroom risotto, uh, any kind of, uh, let's of course, with, with pork or beef risotto or pastas work with that. Even just simple cold cuts, uh, including again, the local cheeses, um, even with, with uh, gorgonzola and so on. The big 
cruz. So we just tasted right now the, the Uccellone. And now we are coming also to the Bigotta uh, for the last wine to taste. This requires for me meat. So I am a meaty guy. So and we are living here. Let's say if you're vegetarian, you have a tough life in Piedmont. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> The chefs are, they, they would be delighted to accept the challenge, but let's say it's a challenge for both, <laughs> for the chefs. <laughs> so, so if, yes, yes. Well, thank God for that. mushrooms at the very least. No, no, no. So the, the rule is if you're a vegetarian and you don't like mushrooms, then probably Not best go to, to go Liguria, somewhere else. So to have good food. <laughs> 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 Get some fish. Oh, no, but the point is, you, it, you, let's say uh, right now in this season, in the winter season, the stews, so the, the brasato, we call it here, so cooked meat, uh, one and a half, two hours, even even longer, depends of the of the size of the cut. Perfectly. So it, then, of course, cooked in red wine, it mustn't be barbaric because it can be if you use too much barbaric in cooking, the acidity maybe uh, can be chump out a little bit if you reduce the, the bottles too, too fast. Uh, but it's coming from cooked meat in the stews or rasato up to just a barbecue uh, tomahawk steak. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And I can see how barbecue works because especially as well, the the higher level, which is seeing more oak with that slight char to the wine. It's perfect. By the way, I taste, that was my tasting note. I did taste the last one. That's you did what already, I was so saying. So, yeah, no, yeah, sorry. I'm get, I got too excited. I might not have been clear, but the, the bigota, my tasting note was that's more roasted, coffee, slightly gamey edge. Now I understand why you're speaking about this. So, First of all, we go we head back <laughs> one year, so it's a 2019 Bigoda, because this wine is kept six months longer in the oak. Again, divided by used and new oak and so on. But the, actually, the most important thing is the difference is the site. So Monferrato, we are familiar with this, but especially in this vineyard, the soil is super rich in iron. And you can see this in the color. So whereas the Uccellone color, the, the soil color is right on the beach. It's like sandy yellow sand and so on. Monte Bruno is already more dark brown soil, but this is dark red soil. It's like, like in Puglia, if you're familiar with the soil. And therefore, actually, it's super rich in iron, which provides a minerality to this wine, which is uh, unique for all our wines. And I, I, I would... I'm quite sure I could always distinguish this wine and truly said, this is my favorite. <laughs> the Bricotta Bigotta. A smaller production because the, the vineyard size is uh, around three hectares only. But you get this minerality. Sometimes on the palate, it feels rather more acidic, but it isn't. So the acidity, the pH is, uh, let's say you can make a copy paste if you want from the analysis, but it happens more on the palate. You get more, it's more mouth watering. It's more interesting for me. And it's called Hill of the Bigot Lady, Bricco della Bigotta, uh, because the former owner was a lady working for the church, so cleaning the church, cooking for the priest and so on, praying, of course, at least uh, twice a day in the church. But when she was outside, she was really quite an ugly person. So you have to imagine between the winery and the church, there's a bar, which was the old restaurant of the families, so or the silly building is, is ours. And Giacomo never did it to the church, so he stopped in the bar. Uh, his wife went on to the church, and when she came out, this uh, this lady working for the church, you never will go to paradise, Giacomo. And she was the one who was ah! she was asking the double price than it was usual at this time. And Giacomo was too tired to 
to uh, discuss or negotiate with her. And he paid this. Uh, at this time, it was definitely cheaper than today, of course. When the contract was signed, he said to this lady, and you bigot, so the you pious lady, you give me the name for Brico della Bigotta. <laughs> oh, how funny. Oh, I like I like the way he's thinking, how he's named everything. Oh, everyone loves a story. This wine also became quite famous because you have to know in our small village, Roqueta Tanaro, we have more dogs than people living here. So we have only 1,200 people, so you can hear the dog from the other end of the village. Another important personality was uh, coming from this uh, area, which is which he was the secretary of the state of Vatican. So the right and the left hand of the Pope, former Pope, Cardinal Angelo Sodano. And he was coming uh, from this village and uh, or the family was coming from this village. And when he was uh, called to come to the Vatican, he was speaking with his uh, friend Giacomo because of, uh, of the same age. Giacomo, I want to have wines in the Vatican from my village. This would be, I would so be so proud about be, be about. But uh, you have to know, all our customers and guests, they are nuns and priests and uh, they all speak Italian and they cannot put the wine called Bricco de Lucellone, the well-hung uh, wine on the table of the Vatican. <laughs> so he was the first to be informed, Giacomo, uh, uh, Angelo, I have the wine for the Vatican. The big god, <laughs> the big brick that I got, and since then there there are still good customers with with all the wines, so not only bigotta but so also Cellone and Montebrona. <laughs> love it. There we go. That's the one that got in the Vatican. We love it. Oh dearie me! I just think that it's such a nice way to understand Barbera, to taste it in different ways. And I would say, do you think that in its best expression, Barbera does really well with? new oak is that does it take it pretty well would you say as a, as a conclusion let's say if you would put barbera into only new oak i i think you would destroy the, the fruit flavors of the wine so actually to my knowledge i don't know any producer using only 100 new oak for for this wine because wouldn't make sense at all indeed and as, as i told you so 20 years ago there was more new oak and a longer time on, on all these wines and we reduced it uh, in the last 20 years uh, drastically. I think we said Okay, so it's interesting that you said about that changing. And, and of course, I love the elegance of these wines. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense, not using too much new oak. One question. I'm looking at the percentage of alcohol on these bottles of wine and both of these two crew wines, you've got the Uccellone at 16. Five percent, which honestly I couldn't taste at all, at all. So everyone listening, don't be scared. Um, and then the bigota is sixteen percent, but I'm still shocked. I'm shocked one because I don't taste it. Two because they don't seem explosive, big, powerful, monstrous numbers. But also, is this alcohol percentage? happening because of global warming is, th is this a direct thing or has Barbera always been a pretty high alcohol grape first of all I must say you don't get this alcohol immediate as I told you so it's not into the glass it's not hot it's not brandy but you feel it after the second bottle I mean. <laughs> <laughs> you feel it unfortunately, well, unfortunately. no let's say this is a this is a, a and, and actually we are training our staff when we are going to the wine fairs how to answer this question? <laughs> the point is, indeed, if people are tasting the wine, we don't, we never discuss uh, the alcohol because you don't get it. But of course, they, they, they take the bottle and they see this and they are surprised uh, in this way. 
Unfortunately, uh, it's really nature giving us this high alcohol, or let's say the high sugar concentration into the wine. The point is we are harvesting, as I told you already before, up to two months earlier than it was 20 years ago to avoid even worse, <laughs> let's say. I can't even imagine. No, yeah, no, don't, no, no, definitely no. don't leave your grapes on the vine till October. It can be worse, it can be worse, <laughs> trust me. And uh, the point is, as these are old, old wines, uh, so 65 years old wines, so the the natural low yield is really, very low, which makes a super concentration of sugar. Therefore, we don't make any green harvest anymore there because uh, it would make things only worse than, than, than better. And we started already, but don't ask me for the results yet. We started to, to plant already over the top, so over the brico on the north-facing side. Uh, experimenting what is happening. So with, uh, let's say, a good phenolic ripeness, but less sugar uh, uh, concentration. But this we can discuss in five to 10 years, uh, <laughs> what, 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 if it will succeed. Now, we know it's a problem because the market is rather looking for low or even no alcohol wine. We try to do our very best. So we have a, a lower canopy, also leaf wall canopy management. We leave the grape in the, into the shadow as long as we can and pick the grapes as early as it makes sense. On the other hand, we must say, let's say we were speaking about these tannins, but these beautiful soft tannins, natural soft tannins. Tannin extraction in Barbera needs some alcohol. So if you have really a, an 11% uh, Barbera in a bottle, certainly won't have any kind of extraction of, of, of tannins or, or evolution of tannins. We are all aware, and um, I'm, we have always discussion. Let's say with my brother-in-law, well, what we can do? Let's say shut the palms so, or add some water and dilute it. <laughs> no. no, no. Listen, I will conclude. I just wanted to bring it up because I found that really interesting. Because you don't taste it at all in the throat. It doesn't feel like it. These are really beautiful, fruit-driven, high acidic, balanced elegant wines so whatever you're doing keep doing it well thank done. you so much <laughs> anyway thank you very much for taking us on the journey i love i mean this is only just a small amount of your range and you do beautiful whites and everyone needs to just go to the website and have a look and check out what kind of wines you do but thank you for letting us know a little bit more about Barbera. and we'll speak again soon i'll come see you in piemonte so you thank take you care so <laughs> thank Bye. you Well, I hope you are now all sufficiently inspired to drink more Barbera, or in fact, jump on a plane and go and stay at the Brider Wine Resort and wake up in their vineyards. Now, next week, I am talking with Stage 2 Master of Wine student Anna Spooner, who lives in the Southern Rhone Valley in France. So she's going to be taking us through her journey of how she got there and then talk to us about those grape varieties of this region. And well, in Chateauneuf-de-Pape alone, there are 13 grape varieties, or in fact, 18 if you consider the Blanc, Gris and Noir versions of each one. So, certainly a region that could have multiple episodes. But for now, I am leaving you with a wine quote. And as this is an Italian episode, I've chosen one by Italian writer Mario Soldati. And he simply said, wine is the poetry of the earth. And oh, it absolutely is. Each sip is a stanza and each vineyard a verse. There we go. I'm a poet myself. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this episode. We are done for today. Do subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure if there's a bell, click the bell so you're always notified as soon as a new episode comes out. Like the podcast, leave a review if you can, and do continue sharing with your wine-loving friends. Wishing you all a week of fun, joy, good vibes only. I raise my glass to you. Until next week, wine friends. Cheers to you.